Well, good morning. As we anticipate and long for Christmas to be here, we've been marching through a series of messages where we've been talking about how Christ is not just born a long time ago, but that Jesus can be born today. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. Be born in us today. So we've been talking about the different ways that Christ is born in our hearts and our lives. Even today at Christmas, we've been talking about a teenager's faith, a carpenter's courage, a scholar's hope. And today we're talking about a shepherd's humility. When we first moved to Atlanta, we had not flown Delta Airlines many times before, and it was early on in our ministry that I was flying from a long distance to get back to Atlanta. And you know what it's like, the cattle call that is the beginning of the lining up of getting everybody to get ready to get on an airplane, and the caste system that it is of importance in order for you to get on the plane. It's almost like one of those things where I want to borrow somebody's baby just to be able to get onto the plane a little sooner. I mean, I want to give the baby back, but I want to borrow the baby to be able to get on the plane. And since I hadn't flown Delta very much, there was no status or anything along those lines. So I'm just waiting with the masses. And they finally call for everybody to board this big plane because it's traveling a long distance. And we're all like, moo, as we move forward. And I kid you not, behind me, there was kind of a little bit of a shuffle and a scuffle. And then a guy came barreling through, nearly knocked me over, and kept going by. And because I'm a follower of Jesus, I said, excuse you. To which he turned around, and I'm not, and this is not like preacher's license, this is what he said. He turned around, he looked at me, and he said, what's your status? Now, if I had been on my pastoral A game, I would have said something like, I'm a child of the eternal king and an heir to the promises of heaven. What's yours? But I wasn't on my A game, so I just kind of looked and shrugged my shoulders, and he looked at me, and he said, Diamond. And he turned around and kept barreling towards the front of the plane like a running back that's making his way to the end zone. You know, how you view your status and how you use that status tells a great deal about you. Let's pray together. Our loving God and Father, many of us come to the sanctuary today and we are full of ourselves. We believe that we are high and we are mighty and we look down on the people around us. Lord, put the humiliation back into our humility to bring us down a few notches to help us to see ourselves with an honest estimation of who we really are. But I also realize, God, as we begin this message today, that there are many people in this sanctuary, many people hearing this word, and they don't think too much of themselves. They think of too little of themselves. They're broken, and they don't think that they're very special. And so, God, will you raise those people up to help to see them through the light and the lens of your promises and as heirs of your eternal kingdom. And for all of us, God, help us to not think too much of ourselves or too little of ourselves, but in the words of C.S. Lewis, help us to think of ourselves less. May I decrease so that thou may increase. And we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, 
At Christmas, we have the story of a king who is to be born. And let's see and hear how this king uses his status. Meanwhile, in that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And suddenly an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid for see, I am bringing you good news that is a great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David, a savior, the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger And then suddenly with that angel, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts glorifying and praising God, singing glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth, peace among those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem to see this thing the Lord has made known to us. At the heart of Christmas is a paradox. A paradox is when two things come together that don't normally belong with one another. The dictionary defines a paradox as a seemingly absurd yet possibly true statement. And if your eyes are open, if you're paying attention, life is full of all different kinds of paradoxes. There's the healthy tan. There's the working vacation. There's military intelligence. There's alone together. There is a short sermon. If you're paying attention, there are paradoxes all around us, like Georgia Tech football. Or a Clemson education. Or a humble bulldog. If you're paying attention, there are paradoxes all around us, things that don't belong together, seemingly absurd and yet possibly true. Is there anything more absurd, anything that doesn't feel like it goes together than actually taking a moment to stop and listen to the Christmas story and realize, wait a minute, there's a king about to be born? I mean, if you're about to hear that message, you're like, oh boy, imagine the palace that that king is about to be born in. I mean, Herod, King Herod's got some amazing palaces, got to be nothing compared to this person's house. Or imagine when that, when that baby is born, imagine the finest materials that they will wrap that baby in, the greatest silk that has ever been known. Or imagine, imagine the little crib that they're going to lay that baby in, it's probably made from gold and adorned with the finest of jewels. But the eternal king is born, and the eternal king is born in a place that's kind of like what's up on the front of our chancel today. Born in a stable, born with a dirt floor, born with a feeding trough for a bed. Seemingly possible and yet absurd. 
And so at the heart of Christmas is a paradox, a paradox where there is this humble ruler, there is this servant king, there is this God human. And if only we will have the eyes to see the heart of this paradox and enter into the absurdity in order to notice what's really going on. In today's passage, the angels sing, they declare to you is born this day in the city of David, a a Savior, the Messiah. And as if the news wasn't shocking enough, you know, and when we hear it, we, we hear it appropriately as kind of us. To us, a Savior is born, but before you get to application, you have to do interpretation, that there's a narrow sense of what the angels are saying there before we can apply it to all of us. And the narrow sense is that the angel is literally talking to shepherds. And because we have the benefit of hindsight and because we look back through nostalgia, we view shepherds in kind of this way. We kind of see it as cartoonish or we see it through stained glass windows. We romanticize, we look back with a nostalgic view of what a shepherd's life was like and they were cute and they were cuddly and they took care of the animals. Let's invite all the children out on the petting zoo out front, isn't that great? But that's not the way that they perceived a shepherd back then. You can still see shepherds in the Holy Land today, and you will see them, and they look more like this. You have to picture the heat or the cold, the dust and the grime. It was one of the lowliest, least educated, least significant positions with the lowest status possible. And only when we hear the shocking, absurd paradox that the angels would entrust the message of eons to a group of shepherds. Only then do we really enter into the story in the way that it was meant to be told. So you've got to ask yourself, why the shepherds? The short answer, they were probably the only ones who wouldn't have missed it. Max Lucado puts it this way. He says it like this. He says, they didn't ask God if he was sure what he was doing. Had the angel gone to the theologians, they'd have first consulted their commentaries. Had he gone to the elite, they would have looked around to see if anybody was watching. Had he gone to the successful, they would have first looked at their calendars. And so we went to the shepherds, men who didn't have a reputation to protect or an ax to grind or a ladder to climb men who didn't know enough to tell God that angels don't sing to sheep and that messiahs aren't found wrapped in rags. He came to the shepherds. And I think that for many of us, I know that it's true for me, that I misinterpret the incarnation of that God comes to be with you where you are. I take that to a logical conclusion that it doesn't really go. I expect God to come to me on my terms. And yes, God will meet you where you are, but God will not come to you on your terms. And because of that, my own experience personally, as well as seeing it and play out in your lives, is that the proud miss out on Christmas because we think that God is supposed to conform to our expectations. 1,600 years ago, there was a theologian by the name of Theodotus, and I'm sure that you spend a lot of time reading him in your spare time, so let me just summarize what he says with this. 
He says, if Jesus had been born to high rank and amidst luxury, unbelievers would have said that the world had been transformed by wealth. If he had chosen as his birthplace the great city of Rome, they would have thought that the transformation had been brought about by civil power. Suppose he had been the son of an emperor, they would have said how useful it is to be powerful, but in fact, what did he do? He chose surroundings that were poor and simple, so ordinary as to be almost unnoticed, so that people would know it was God alone who had changed the world. God came to the shepherds so that we would know that it was truly him. There's a famous story that's often told at this time of year by the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. He says, imagine once upon a time that there was a king who fell in love with a humble maiden. She had no education, she had no status, she lived in a hovel, she worked in a dirty place, and yet the king fell in love with her And while no one could explain it, he couldn't stop loving her. He wanted to reveal to her his love, and yet he was anxious with the reality of that he did not know how to do so. His advisors would tell him that he ought to lean on his power, that he could command her to love him, but he knew in his heart that even though that foreign nations groveled at his very words, that as people came into his presence, that they offered cowered away at the immense power and authority that he had, but he knew, he knew that you cannot command love. He was looking for love, not for forced compliance or coercion. The human heart can only be unlocked from the inside. And so he knew he could not command her to love. If he did that, he would only have her obedience. And he was looking for the uniting of a soul. The other option that he had was to try to change her status, to try to raise her up. He could shower her with blessings and with riches and with gifts. He could give her a life that she could never expect on her own. And of course, she would have to be grateful for that life. And so, of course, she would love him then, right? But then he realized that how would he ever know if she truly loved him for who he was and not for what he could do for her? And that the same quandary would be true for her. How would she know that she truly loved him for who he was? And matter of fact, did he really love her if she wouldn't be turned into a princess? And so with all the alternatives seemingly exhausted, the king did the unthinkable. He removed his royal robes. He set aside his crown. He put down his scepter. And he entered into the life as a peasant. He did not take on the outward appearance of someone who was poor. He began to live an impoverished kind of life. And in doing so, he was able to come alongside her and to love her and to cherish her. And his raggedness became the signature of his very presence. Is this not what the king of the universe has done for shepherds, for us? 
that he traded his crown of glory for a crown of thorns, that he traded his royal robes for the raggedness of impoverishment, that he traded his throne for a feeding trough, and he traded his scepter for a shepherd's staff, and his raggedness became the signature of his very presence. David Jeremiah put it like this. He said this, In David, God made a shepherd into a king, and in Jesus, he made a king into a sacrificial lamb. Later, and I wish, I wish you could go back and hear it for the shocking nature that it would have been, the absurdity that they would have heard when Jesus declared that he was the good shepherd, that the Messiah, the king, was going to be a good shepherd and that he was going to lay down his life for his sheep. Seemingly absurd, yet possibly true. I began today's message with kind of a disparaging story of what it's like to enter an airplane. Let me tell you at least a good story. It wasn't that long ago when I was boarding a plane to come back home. And do you know how the airplanes have this great sales pitch where they make you walk through first class in order to get to your seats? So it's like you come down the aisle and you see these big luxurious seats and you're like, oh, what would it be like to be up here? And you walk through it and then you get to the kind of second tier of class and the third tier of class and then all the way in the back you get to lavatory class, that that's the, the process that you go through. In this one particular instance, I was in that Delta Comfort. I was right behind first class. I was close enough where I could see it and I could smell it. They were eating real food, not just snacks out of little pouches. You could just almost get there, but you weren't quite there. The last person to board the plane was a soldier. He was in his camouflage fatigues. He had just a simple duffel bag over his shoulder. And there was a guy about three rows ahead of me who was up in first class, who was clearly some sort of successful businessman. He had on a very fine suit and an absolutely gorgeous leather satchel bag. And I saw him just stick out his hand and he said, son, what's your seat today? And the soldier pulled out his phone and said, row 525B. <laughs> and the businessman said, not today. You sit here. And he gathered his luxurious items and he traded his seat for the back of the bus. And what was interesting to me is that when he turned around, he had the biggest smile on his face. For he knew his status, and he knew how to use it. You know, I think when people miss Christmas, I don't think it's because we don't know enough I don't think when we miss Christmas, it's because we don't have enough faith. I think when we miss Christmas, it's because we're unwilling to take the lowly place because that's where Christ 
was born. Seemingly absurd, yet possibly true. What's your status? Let's pray. Our loving God and Father, I'm so grateful that you were willing to trade your throne for a trough, your scepter for a shepherd's staff, and your crown for thorns. Thank you that you are the good shepherd and that you lay down your life for us. Thank you that you are with us and that you choose to take on the humble posture of a servant and to give it away. Lord, I pray that you will lift us up, that you will help us to know that we belong to you, that you will humble the proud, and that you will help us now to enter into the heart of the Christmas paradox, things that don't go together, a king and a servant. Thank you that you were born to shepherds and that you were now born to even us. And so take away our nostalgia and our rose-colored glasses and help us to be like the shepherds, the only ones who were low enough not to miss it. 